Hey, good morning. Man, we got a lot of good stuff for you. But before I get into God's Word, I just want to encourage you on something. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work lately with a lot of other re- uh, leaders in the region, and they always give me feedback on you, our congregation, right? So if you guys blow it somewhere, they always tell me about it, right? Hey, met one of your members, yee, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but here's the deal. I have heard over and over and over in, in, in so many recent months, people running into you out uh, in, in society there and saying, wow, Pastor Lance, I just got to tell you, your congregation is absolutely amazing. You all have the best reputation out there. Anyone that is engaging with you, that you are loving and kind and fun and and able to laugh with them and joke with them and pray for them. So I I just want to tell you that always makes my heart swell with pride, right? Where I'm going, this is our family. We are out there loving on people and doing really good. So I want to encourage you. The other thing that I wanted to tell you is a reminder about how church works uh, on the weekends. When you come in, the Bible says that every one of you come in equipped. You have something to minister with, right? So the Bible talks about whether you have a word or an encouragement or a prayer. Just know that when you walk into church, you already have something to give. That part of church is kind of a give and receive concept. That when you come in, sometimes it's your hugs or your handshakes or your smiles that brightens the entire next week for somebody else. So when you come in, please come in ready to use your gifts and talents and abilities. We as leadership are trying to get a little bit more areas for you to use those. But when you come in, please just share out what God has given you with other people because the rest of the service is really God ministering to you and ministering to you and ministering to you. Realize that during our worship set, when we are all singing, God is healing and fixing and changing things for you. While you are praying, God is moving. While the word is being taught, God is moving on you. While you are fellowshipping, God is moving on you. I have heard more in the recent last year, people say the phrase, I felt the Holy Spirit in church today more than we ever have in our entire history. And this is what I mean. Before, it was kind of like people were, you had to be super sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you're like, oh yeah, he's always been here. All the rest of us were like, where? I can't feel him. You know, that kind of thing. It's getting more and more intense, his presence, before every Saturday, before every Sunday set of services, we are praying intensely, Holy Spirit, come and just have your way in this place. We don't just want it in this room, right? Because we have youth and we have kids. We want it flooding the kids' areas. We want the Holy Spirit's power to be all over our campus so that even when you drive up, he starts working with you in the car, right? He's trying to work out all those arguments you just had a block away, right? And he's, he's trying to be like, hey, let's focus here. Focus, guys. I'm so thankful that you're here because I believe that just being in the presence of God transforms you. Even if the message is lame. I'm just saying, just saying, you know, that hey, God can certainly work with anything, right? So, all right. Anyway, let's go ahead and take out our Bibles and the handout sheet that is given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part three of our ever-present King series through the book of 
Habakkuk, and you may need, well, the whole entire service to find it. So why don't you start there, uh, take out your Bible, and take a look at the book of Habakkuk. Uh, my normal explanation to find it is drop the Bible open in the middle, go to the right. If you start running into names that you would never name your children... You are in the right area. If you get back to normal names like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you went too far. Okay, so let's stick in the weird names, which I do apologize for anyone who has named their child Haggai. Um, just real quick, just need to point this out. You're a terrible parent. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Uh, we're going to be there in a moment. Uh, anytime we get into a book of the Bible that you say, you know, I don't have any background on that. I would love to know kind of the gist. Remember I mentioned to you some seminary students that got together and they do art form versions of recaps of books. It's actually called the Read Scripture series in YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you type in Habakkuk, right? Which first of all, you're going to type it wrong the first three times. Then you'll get into it. When you type in Habakkuk, it comes up either as the first or the third option. And it says, read scripture series. And it looks like it is drawn. That is such a brilliant series. It tells you the entire book of Habakkuk in about six minutes and 20 seconds. It is so concise. It is so powerful just to get kind of a recap. In case you don't have YouTube, I'm going to go ahead and recap for you anyway, right? So I'll get you there here in a moment. But it is an amazing series. Now, as I lead us into this message of today called listen up i want to draw your attention to a story you may be familiar with with jesus and peter so if you remember jesus had 12 apostles there were 12 men that kind of hung out with him day in and day out for about three years now jesus had a lot of disciples male disciples female disciples young disciples older disciples but he had these 12 apostles and he would kind of hang out with them and pour into them. They didn't know everything about him. They didn't know all how he works and what he represents. They just know that he was their leader. They knew that he was their best friend. He knew that they knew that he was so special and they wanted to be connected to him. They had really grown connected and bonded to this amazing man. Well, as we got towards the three year mark, Jesus started dropping hints. He started saying things like, y'all know I'm going to die, right? Well, mostly when you hear bad news like that or something that is so agitating to your spirit, you kind of block it out, right? Well, I'm sure that's not what he meant and stuff like that. Well, then one day he got super clear. He said, guys, I just need you to tell you this. I'm going to be real clear with you. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. It was there that they couldn't worm out of it, right? You can imagine just looking around the group, all their faces falling. Like, he didn't really just say that, did he? What would we do? As they're all crushed, you can imagine that Peter, kind of the more loudmouth ringleader guy, right? He's looking around and going, oh man, this is not what we need right now. If we're going to try to build a ministry, this is terrible. He takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what the word rebuke means, because we don't use that a lot. Let me be very clear. When the Bible says that Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, when it says that he rebuked demons, do you know what it means? It means that he said, hey, knock it off, stop doing that, and do something different. 
That's a rebuke. He did that to Jesus. That's a terrible idea, right? So he pulls him aside and he's like, Lord, you can't be talking about this whole I'm going to die thing, man. You're killing morale. Look, you made John cry. Like the little guy, he's over there crying, right? This is so embarrassing. Okay, here's the deal. That we're trying to like move forward. It's momentum, right? You've read John, uh, you know, the, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, right? You've all read that, right, Lord? So you gotta know this. We don't act like that. You're killing morale and telling everybody that you're going to die and everybody's sad. Now, he, I don't know what he was thinking, but it was a bad idea. And Jesus unloads on him. Here's the quote. Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty clear. (laughs) You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of men. Okay. Now, there are some of us in this room that have a personality where we're super stubborn and, and we can hear rebuke and we just keep moving. Then there's some of us that are, we could snap us like a twig, right? I mean, we're just so sensitive, right? I'm a little bit more on that side. I would be horrified if the one I love the most, my hero, looked at me and said, you're ruining it. You are a hindrance to me. Not only are you not helping me, You're a block, dude. Like everything I'm trying to accomplish, you are screwing up. Man, I would be so just horrified that Jesus would think that about me. He said, get behind me, Satan. What was the point? Well, Satan means adversary. You are against me. Why? Because you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. Your agenda, Peter, is not in alignment with mine. Your priorities clearly are out of whack with what I'm trying to tell you to do. And when you're operating in that mindset, you are not building my kingdom, you're building some kingdom, but you're not building mine. And you're making everything more difficult. Now what's intriguing about this is that two of the gospel writers, you know, the gospel writers are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Two of them, Matthew and Luke, actually record what happened after that. And they say this, right after that, Jesus said, if any man would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, then he can follow me. So they both say that. What was the point? I think here's the point. As long as you are building your kingdom, you're not building God's kingdom. I think we all think we can. I think how we view it is, God, I'm going to put a whole bunch of my energy over here. I'm going to make a kingdom for you. And then I know you're not really into my stuff. So I'm going to take some of my time and build my kingdom over here. And then we complain to the Lord that we're exhausted. God, this Christianity is exhausting. Is it though? Because I think my way, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not quite sure my kingdom building is actually what's wiping you out. I think the double living is what's wiping you out. See, I've told you that if you're going to build my kingdom, I'm not only going to give you the directions, but I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the resources and the energy to get it done. So is that really what's wiping you out? Or is the fact that you're trying to do everything wiping you out? I think that what Jesus was saying is if you're going to be my follower, it actually means that you need to follow me. Interesting. 
That means that I set the tone. I set where we march, how we march. I said how fast we march and how slow we march. It means my agenda is the only agenda. Now, something interesting that Luke adds that, that Matthew doesn't is that he says one other line, and Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you when I come back with my angels. Why did he say that? Maybe it was unrelated, but maybe... Part of what Peter's motivation was is, Lord, the way you're doing things doesn't work for me. It's embarrassing. The idea that you would kill morale, the idea that you would shut us all down like that, that's not how you do it. Have you ever been challenged in your life where God asked you to do something and you said, that is flat out embarrassing. I am not doing that. That is evidence that your agenda and his are at odds. Because your agenda may say things like this. You may have core values like, I want to look good in front of people. What people think about me matters. I want to be everyone's friend at all times. Things like this. Do you understand how that can come into conflict sometimes? When the Lord says, actually, I need you to decrease that I may increase. I actually need you to put yourself on the line. I need you to step out and do this. Now, you're going to be blessed through it, but that's not why I want you to do it. I want you to do it because I asked you to do it. I know it's not what you want to do. I understand that praying for that man over there because he looks like things are really, really hard in his life. I understand that is going to set you back. You were going to get to work 15 minutes early. You're now going to get to work five minutes early. I understand it's going to cost you. What I'm telling you is it's why you're here. So as far as this whole agenda thing, well, I'm going to do this for my job and I'm going to fill my life with this and I'm going to get a bunch of stuff. I actually never asked you to do that. That was kind of your idea. What I'm telling you is I have you here for a purpose and it's to transform the world. And I'm the only one that knows how to do that. So I need you to be flexible and willing to do what I ask you to do. We all tracking on that? Yeah. So... Here's kind of the point of all this is when we have conflict of our core values and his core values, our agenda and his agenda, our priorities and his priorities, it means that we think that we can critique him, that we think our way is better or that he missed something and we're the ones that are going to fill it in. What's the problem with that? It's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's this. We are not God's teacher. We are not God's teacher. We are a Christ follower. That's a big difference. All right, so let's go ahead um, and recap a little bit of last week. But as we enter into this message, there is some corrective elements to it. And I want to be very clear on a couple things. Number one, this is not a sermon of I'm preaching at you. I am sharing the word of God and we together are sitting under the Lord's teaching. And that means that I'm just as busted as you are on this stuff. And I'm struggling with the very same things. Another thing that I think is important for us to know is that I'm not here to bash you. I don't think the Bible is trying to bash you. Because when we have competing When we have competing visions and competing kingdom building in our lives, it has to do with selfishness. But remember, there are two polar opposite reasons why we get the most selfish. One is pride. 
One is despair. In other words, we get self-focused when we're feeling awesome about ourselves, like we're going to tell God what to do, and also when we're scared and when we're devastated. We turn inward. Lord, I just got a diagnosis of cancer. I'm freaking out. Boom, we go inward. It's all about me right now. God, you've got to help me out. Forget your agenda. I'm now on mine. And what I don't want to do is in this time, for all of us are wrestling with selfishness for a variety of reasons. In my life personally, I'm like up and down. I have a season where I'm like, I'm selfish because of pride. And then boom, I'm selfish because of like devastation. I'm all over the map, man. It'd be so nice to be consistent. I just, I can't get there yet, right? So I, I get it. It's kind of a mix in my world. But we have to somehow, some way, get beyond the selfishness and let God be God and not just consistently be his teacher. Amen? All right. I'm not here to beat anybody up. Um, but I do think that we need some correction in our thoughts. This is a year of wisdom. We are, we are not okay with leaving ignorance in areas of our lives if God has given us some clarity. So I think that what our heart is throughout this year is, Lord, blow away the darkness, blow away the ignorance, blow away that which is standing against you and make me more pure. Make me more of what you've designed me to be, Lord. And I need my mind renewed. I think that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Okay. So quick recap. Basically, the book of Habakkuk goes like this. We're only on part three. So here's what we've done so far. Uh, What happens is Habakkuk comes to God with a complaint. He said, I've been looking at my nation and I'm horrified. God, our nation is a mess. Our leadership is so off right now. Like they do not have the things in mind of God, but the things in mind of men. The leadership is so poor and so selfish and so focused on their own identity and their own priority list they're letting our nation fall apart number two there's violence in our streets like everywhere we go there's problems the bad guys are doing this and the bad guys are doing that and nothing seems to get corrected we feel like we're seeing the same cycle where bad stuff happens and bad stuff happens god am i the only one seeing this aren't you going to fix it that's the complaint god actually responds And he says, number one, yes, I see it. And you can imagine that God would say, and by the way, you have a list of 13 things wrong with your society. I have 1,674,000 of them. So this whole business about you think you only see it, man, I know them all. Yes, I see it. Number two, I'm doing something about it. I'm raising up a nation worse than you and they're going to slaughter you all. Okay, now right there, it was, Habakkuk was like, this is the last thing I wanted to hear. That is the worst plan I've ever heard. What do you mean you're raising up a worse nation to kill us all? You can't do that. What I was saying when I was complaining was that how about a revival, right? How about a let's get it fixed? Oh, Habakkuk, I'm going to empower you to lead the nation to change. Like I was praying for a million other solutions. It certainly wasn't. Let's raise up a whole super bad guy group and they're going to come through and wipe us out. God, seriously, that's not your plan, right? And that's where we pick up the story. 
Would you turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12? Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. This is beautiful. This is where Habakkuk wants to tell God who God is. I like that. That's fantastic. Here we go. Are you not God from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. Okay, now some commentators read this way more hopeful than I do. Maybe they're more optimistic than I am. They read this and they're like, man, look at what a beautiful man of faith. Habakkuk's like, God, you're so awesome. It's all going to work out. I don't see that at all. I see that Habakkuk is frustrated. He's confused. And I think that he's trying to put it together and he's lashing out and being manipulative. I think that he's saying to God, God, you know who you are, right? Like you're the eternal king. You're the the boss of everything, right? If that's the case, we should be fine because we're your kids. All right. Have you ever heard the phrase systematic theology? I, I mention it every once in a while from the pulpit Systematic theology means you have a view of how God does stuff and what he's like. What we need it to be is more systematic, meaning all the parts work together. If we do not have it systematic, then we believe polar opposite things about God. And that's not right. So, for example, if you don't think through how everything relates to everything else, you'll say a phrase like this. I believe God is good. I believe that God's word is infallible and always accurate. I believe that there is no hell. Okay, because what you do is you say, well, I think, and you start putting these things out there. Here's the problem with that. We can argue all day long about what hell is like. We can talk about annihilation versus not. We can do all that stuff. But if the Bible says that hell is legit, hell is legit. Right? So you don't get to say phrases like the Bible is the infallible word of God, but I don't believe it. You understand what I'm saying? That's not systematic. We have to think through our stuff. Because if we don't, we end up understanding a few pieces and we come out with really weird results. Right? We, we believe certain parts, but then somehow it gets us into a strange place. I think Habakkuk just did that. I think he said, God, you're the eternal God. We should be fine. Well, how'd you throw in we should be fine part in there? Like you kind of jumped on that one, right? That's not what I said. Here's my point. If we believe that God is just, if we believe that we need him to hold sin and evil accountable then shouldn't he hold the sin and evil in us accountable? Do you understand how we have to be consistent? Right? Because here's what we're always thinking, whether we say it or not. God, we want judgment on the bad guys. Mercy for us. Right? God, I need you to nail the bad guys to the wall. I need you to cut me some slack. Right? We keep doing this kind of divide. Treat them one way, treat me another way. But, But in order to be consistent, God must deal with... All people. That includes us. I don't want to rehash last week's message, but I was sharing last week about the idea that sometimes we are the bad guys. Shouldn't God correct that too? Sometimes we are the racist. Sometimes we are the selfish. 
Sometimes we are the manipulative. Sometimes we are the gossip. But we want freedom for our stuff. But I think that we need to be consistent that God needs to deal with us too. All right, let's keep moving forward. Here's what he says. Oh Lord, you have ordained them, meaning the Babylonians who are the bad guys coming. You've ordained them as judgment. I get that. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. His point is, God, I see your plan. I understand your plan. I know you're not going to change your plan. My problem is I think it's a terrible plan and I don't understand your plan, right? So like, I don't understand how this is really your solution. Verse 13. Then he starts telling God why God shouldn't do this. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God, if you are so pure and holy, why are you letting so much bad stuff happen? This is one of those things where we are consistently assuming that we know the right way and we know how God should act. Do we? What do we know? Our view is way too limited, which by the way, can I just clear up one common pet peeve I have? A lot of people read this verse out of context. God is too pure to look on evil. And so they make some grand statements. So they'll say things like God doesn't know what's going on in hell because he can't look upon evil. Hold up. God can do anything he wants to do. And all he looks at is evil. If he's looking at us, he's looking at evil. He sees us. People are like, oh, he's too pure. He can't look at evil. No, he can. Here's what the verse means. God cannot look at evil without having an opinion about it. God cannot look at evil without setting something in motion to make it right. That is a fact. But it's not a simple blank statement that he cannot do something. That is incorrect. All right? But what was Habakkuk's point? He says this. God, I'm seeing this part of your nature and seeing you do this, and I don't know how they work together, and so I'm confused. But I think we all have those, right? We all have inconsistencies that we keep viewing, and we go, I don't understand how God could do that. Okay, so let's talk about that. God's harsh judgments. Don't you ever read the Old Testament and go, yee, and just kind of like move past it, right? You're like, that is scariness. Um, What about the times when you read into the Israeli campaign of the promised land and God's like, wipe out all men, women, and children. And you're like, uh, how does that work? What about eternal torment in hell? Is that like, you know, how does that work? Like, I thought, God, that I don't understand how that fits into your nature. What about things like God will even forgive the worst of us? Anybody wrestle with that? I mean, do you realize that Hitler on his deathbed could have reached out to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and been cleansed of his sin? Do you understand that? There's a whole bunch of us in this room that are like, heck no. That dude needs a one-way ticket down, brother. Like, if there's anybody that does not need your grace, it's that dude, right? I think that there's so many things in our list, God... When times when it says that God partnered with evil, he sent lying spirits into the prophet's mouths and all that. We read this stuff and we're like, I don't understand. And instead of studying it, we go, la, 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 and run away. (laughs) I don't got time for that. The problem with doing that is you'll have a malformed view of God. 
And then you won't understand when he operates in your life. Here's what we must do. We must take the time and press in and through the difficulty. Here's what I'm going to guarantee you is on the other side. When you press through, you will find that God is more good than you ever imagined. You will find out that he is more powerful than you ever thought. You will find out that he is a great leader and a great father. You will find out when you push through all that mess, there's a whole new vantage point of God that will open up in your life. You will begin to bond more. You'll begin to understand more. You'll begin to see more. And you will praise Him more. I believe that. But it means you got to put in the effort to push through. Because all those things I just mentioned have an answer. All those ultimately open up and you go, what a beautiful God. But when we always run away... We don't get to see that part of him and we lose out. Here's what he says in verse 14. He said, not only God, am I trying to remind you who you are, but I want to point out you're not doing very good with mankind. So here we go. Verse 14. God, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. God, you've made us way too vulnerable to the bad people. Here's the deal. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, Lord. Like, seriously, Eve was never going to win the showdown between Satan and her. She wasn't going to be smart enough. And you know what? The minute we have kids, right? We have Cain and Abel. Oh, look at the little boys playing. Oh, my gosh, what's happening? Cain smashes Abel over the head. Abel's head is so soft, it crushes under the weight, and he's dead. God, that was not cool. Oh, and as I start reading through the Bible and the, and the genealogy, right off the bat, oh, so-and-so had many wives. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. That now all of a sudden you have women in this posture where now men can abuse them and take advantage of them and they're just merely property. That was not cool. And so, Lord, I'm just going to point this out. You're not doing a great job with humanity. Isn't that interesting? God says... Well, first of all, I created you beautiful and perfect. I put you in a perfect scenario. And I said, just trust me and let me minister to you. And you said, no, thanks. I'll do it my way. So kids, even though I'm fixing it, I need you to understand what's broken is not on me. That's on you. Right? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So good, right? And then he, he's complaining still. Verse 15. He, meaning Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, who's coming to wipe them out, he brings all of his captives up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. Now, some commentaries will say, well, this is because he followed the Assyrian view that you would link prisoners through a chain through their nose like through a line and you would drag them along so they couldn't get out of line because it would rip right out of their nose and then you would know. But anyway, I don't think that's the point here. I think this is more metaphorical of saying that he's scooping everybody up like animals. He treats people like animals. Okay, but here's the key point. When he does so, he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net 
and makes offerings for his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. What does it mean? It means that he starts making a God out of whatever suits him and elevates him in society. In other words, that for Nebuchadnezzar and his team, their sheer brute force crushed the opponent. So instead of apologizing for that, they'd say, look how strong we are. Aren't we awesome? If they have a war machine that decimates their enemy, they then hold the machine up as a god and say, look at what we can do. All right, let's make it more personal. This is happening in America all over the place. Here's why. We have businessmen in our society that say, I crushed the competition. I didn't just kind of win. I won really big. And you want to know why? Because I'm a winner and they're losers. When I went through, you're right. I took every opportunity. You're right. You weren't looking. I took advantage of you. That's how the system works. If you were not willing to go there, I was willing to go there. Why? Because I'm a better businessman than you. And I will write books and I will become famous. You will like everything I do. Not only will I not apologize that when I conquered that company and threw it out of business and made billions of dollars, not only am I not going to apologize for all the lives that were devastated by that, but I'm going to hold up my trophies and I'm going to say, aren't I awesome? That's happening right now. It happens in every element of society. There are things that we wear in society that are horrifying to God. What's this? Well, I wear all of my jewels and everything just to point out what you don't have. I have more than you. I have my gold. I got my bling. I got my diamonds. I got everything. And my whole point is I'm successful. You're not. Just be clear. Right? So take a look at what I've done. As opposed to saying, wow, that's probably not an awesome use of the gifts that God gave me. And it's probably not the best use of the money that God has entrusted to me. And instead of me consistently uh, just getting more stuff. Hey, I got a fleet of cars. I got every possible sports car. I got all this stuff. Look at how awesome I am. As opposed to, hey, you know what? I have this fleet of cars. It's kind of embarrassing because I probably shouldn't be spending my money on all of that. That is a little weird. But I love cars, okay? So there's not even that attitude. It's a come see my pad, take a look at what I got. Aren't I amazing? The very things, the, the evidence of domination is held up as a trophy, That is twisted. That's not what God wants. Now understand, the reason why is that in a capitalistic society that we live in, it's about competition. It's about sharpening each other. It's about getting better in the market system and all that stuff. Listen, I'm not against capitalism. I'm against, I think there's a way to do capitalism through Jesus. And I think there's a satanic way to do capitalism. I'm actually against that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm not against the market system of capitalism. I'm against bad hearts hurting other people. That I don't think is acceptable. I don't think the point of life 
is economic growth. I think the point of life is love. And I think until we get back into that being a value, see what I picture and what I dream about, right, is that we have a capitalistic society that says, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to push my hardest and I'm going to try to move forward. And every time I move forward, I'm going to grab those with me that do not have the same ability that I have. And I'm going to carry them and we're all going to move forward. Amen. Yeah, I believe that. Not the whole, I'm going to run way ahead and who cares about you? I don't think that's the way of Jesus. I think there's a better way to live. All right. So it was saying, basically, this is the way of Babylon. Do you understand that every nation will trend unless God changes it? They will trend towards Babylon. Every nation tends towards Babylon. What is the epitome of Babylon? Selfishness. Every nation goes selfish. It starts out with some good ideas. It starts out with some great motives. And then all of a sudden it starts trending towards it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. I don't think it should be all about me. I don't think that's the way of the Lord. All right, let's get to the big pieces here. Verse 17. Habakkuk says this, is he the bad guy? Then going to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. What's his point? God, what's your long-term plan? Is that it? Just a cycle of violence? Is that all we're going to do? You're going to raise it up and it's going to be bad guy after bad guy after bad guy that every time the bad guys win, is that your plan? Cause I don't think that's a good plan. Look at chapter two, verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Once again, a lot of commentators are like, man, what a man of faith. He's going to go up there, up on the high tower, and he's going to look and see how God is going to carry out his beautiful plan. I'm not seeing that. Here's what I'm seeing. God, I don't like your plan. I understand your plan. So now I'm going to take a look at it and I'm going to judge it. Right? I'm going to look. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a report card. Right? Let's see how your plan works out. Once again, it's still that attitude of I'm above you. God, I get to be your teacher. I tell you what to do and what you don't do. I will assess whether or not your ways are good or not. Man, do you struggle with this stuff in your life? Where, I mean, like you're trying to, you're like praying and things are going on and you're judging God. Okay. Let me give you a practical thing. So if you're new to the church every year now, and it's usually in November, every year we do a worship prayer and healing night. We get together with all these other churches and we just have an all out prayer bash. We're like all in super supernatural mode, right? And we're just praying our guts out and we're praying healing and we're praying demon casting and we're praying. I mean, we're just all in, right? It's like the super aggressive, let's pray and, and devastate the forces of evil. Okay. So every year we do this, I am faced just because of my um, visibility I have you and other members of the community bringing legit heavy needs to me. Like it is not small stuff. It is Pastor Lance, I have stage four cancer. Pastor Lance, I have MS. Pastor Lance, I just, um, right now they're telling me that I'm losing my baby. Pastor Lance, they're t- I mean, this is what I'm bombarded with. 
And I'm in aggressive prayer mode. So I'm like, let's pray, uh, man, let's pray victory right now. Let's go and God move heaven and earth, right? Every time, either later that night or the next day, I go over a little report card in my mind with God. God, all right, just going to be honest here. All right, give me a second. The music, pretty good. Okay, no question. Worship team nailed it. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Lord. This whole supernatural healing thing. Hmm. I'm going to give you a C plus. Okay. I'm going to give you a C plus. Now here's the deal. I, I'm going to give you extra credit because that one cancer thing, that was hardcore when you healed that one. But here's the deal. As a matter of fact, I had 14 people come to me and only four of them were healed. So I'm going to go, Ooh, that could have been a really bad mark on you. So I'm going to give you a little bit of grace. <laughs> Funny where I learned that. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and mark you down on that. The other thing is that when I'm looking at that, that whole transformation thing, eh, B, right? You're above average. Don't get me wrong. You're above average. And I'm like marking him down. Because in my mind, I'm going through the things that were so disappointing. You guys remember last week when I shared that sweet single mama, Sue McKernan, you remember that? And how my heart was really involved in that? That night, she passed away. She passed away at 10.30 that night. She's not with us anymore. She's in the Lord's hands. She's been transferred to glory. Okay, that, that is not how I wanted it to go. So I'll just, I'll be real clear on that. And I, I kind of entered into this, Lord, that's not, that was not the best. I'm a little disappointed in you. Okay, even if my heart is sweet, it doesn't make it right that I would judge God. We're allowed to be confused. We're allowed to be angry. We're allowed to be frustrated. We're allowed to be lost. But can we please leave it at that and not take it the next step further? And God, this is all your fault. You know what I mean? I think it's appropriate. I don't think we should stuff things. I don't think we should ignore things. I think we should actually live through it. What I'm saying is we've got to stop it at, and God, I don't know. But I trust you. God, I don't know, but you're good. God, I don't know, but I'm sure it was right if I knew what you knew. You see... When will we become men and women that are humble enough to just let God move without always critiquing Him and cutting Him down and withdrawing praise because He didn't do it our way? Um, let me give you an example. There's, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus calls a guy. He said, that man is a man in whom there is no guile. Now, that's an old school phrase to basically say there's somebody who is not living a manipulative life. He's innocent, pure, good guy. I've never forgot that because I'm not that guy. Here's what I mean. I'm the kind of guy that God has built where I think very, very fast. And because of growing up with panic disorder and a social phobia, I became a great student of human nature. I know how to analyze people extraordinarily fast. 
So when you come up, I'll be able to, you know, kind of put my little code thing there. And I'm like, ding, right? Bad guy, you know, or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, I have that, that ability. Well, what happens is because I have that ability to reason so quickly and figure out five steps ahead of you, what I end up doing is realizing here's all the possible scenarios and there's three scenarios where it makes me look better and I'll try to lean into those and utilize those. Well, that's manipulative. So what ends up happening is I end up having to do this. I step in to the sin of manipulation, recognize its sin, be totally embarrassed that I stepped in it. Then I have to step back out of it and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I, I need to do a different. That's my life. So whenever I see someone that never even thought to walk into the sin, whose heart never even conceived that that was an option, who was so simple in their walk with God that they didn't have to walk through the manipulation chain. I'm amazed. See, everyone else is like, oh, those are the ignorant people and those are the naive people and those are the... You know what I think they are? Beautiful. I think it's the reason why Jesus had his team around him and he brought in a little child. And he goes, hey guys, real quick, we're never going to be as close and I'm never going to be able to move through you more powerfully until you become like one of these little ones that has a heart that says to me, dad, what are we doing today? I'm all in. Because all the rest of you are going to critique me and tell me what you will and won't do. You'll be resistant and you'll try to manipulate me. I'm looking for an honest heart that will just say, yes, dad. You guys, I long for that. I remember that um, when my girls were super little, one of them came up to me and she had just been learning about money, right? This whole concept of money. And she goes, Dad, I don't understand. What does everything cost? Why can't everybody just do it for free? Right? Which, I mean, is super cute, right? Now, this is where all the rest of us are like, doesn't work like that, kid, right? Like, come on, if I'm going to make a living and I'm going to pay, I'm going to put food on the table for my family, I got to charge you and blah, 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 blah. Okay, you know what? Let's say you're absolutely right. I still wish I was more like her. I still wish that in her mind it had never been conceived why you would charge somebody for something. Why wouldn't you just do it for them? Why wouldn't you just be nice? And so I long for more innocence. I long for more purity. I long for a heart that's more simple before God that doesn't have to assess which sin, but just says, why would I sin and move on? This is my call for us today. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? We're going to close out. Here's my call for us today. Is there any way for us to begin to recapture some of that childhood innocence and faith and belief an open heart. Is there any way for us to say, Lord, cleanse my heart and mind. God, I am not here to critique you, Father. I am not here to hold you accountable. I am here to follow you, Lord. I'm here to fall into your arms. I'm here to do whatever you've asked me to do. That my answer, God, before you even ask me is yes. Will there come a day 
soon where our hearts begin to mend and bend that way to say yes, God, every time. Hmm. Let me go ahead and just pray for you. We're going to pray that that this altar is anointed. We're going to pray that you're blessed. We're going to pray that we can be a change in society. We're going to pray for all this stuff. Please lean into the prayer with me, right, in your heart. Just agree intensely in your spirit. I want God to remake us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good every single time. You know things we don't know and all of your ways are best. Lord, we are not here to try to say that we're your master, we're your teacher. God, we are your follower. We say yes right here, right now. Lord, would you restore the heart of innocence in us, a desire to want to be the good guys. That Lord, we're not always looking for the vantage point of how it's better for us but we're always looking for a win-win or we're always looking to just sacrifice and bless. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would release the power of your Holy Spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, just walk and do your beautiful work. There are so many needs that, Lord, you brought here today just because they were. it's time to be healed just because it's time for breakthrough, just because it's time to transform. So Lord, we are just praying that not only would you sweep across our entire campus, caring for our children, ministering to our babies, loving on our volunteers, watching over everyone covering this campus, but Lord, you would also intensify your beautiful breakthrough presence right here at our altar in the front of this church. Would you anoint each and every prayer team member would you allow them to do the extraordinary because it's you who are in them it is not them it's you god we just pray for everyone here that is wounded and hurting and struggling everyone here that is frustrated and fearful and wanting god for all those needs where it's time for an answer would you just release yes into our midst continue to open our eyes lord that we might be able to trust you more to love you more and to praise you more in jesus name we pray amen amen have a wonderful weekend